Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good day to you today, and welcome to P.I.'s Declassified. I am so excited today because my guest is joining us from Delhi, India, and uh, way across the other part of the world, and I hope that I'm going to be able to pronounce his name correctly, uh, Pawanjit Aluwalia. Is that correct, Pawan? That is absolutely correct. You've done well. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm so excited about this, Pawan. We, we're talking today about networking and how important it is to uh, make contacts in countries all over the world because we have now become a, country, a, a world of contacts. Uh, we have multinational corporations uh, that are sharing foreign soar- shores and uh, employees of those companies work all over the world. We just have become so multinational. So we're going to talk today about your experiences, Pawan. But first, I want people to know about you. So kind of tell us, you know, where you started. I know you were in the Indian military. So tell us about that. You see, my career actually started off uh, when I joined a military school when I was nine years old. My father was in the armed forces and he uh, sort of probably had it at the back of his mind that his children should join the army. Okay. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) And uh, also in the environment that we grew up, uh, we knew of nothing else but the armed forces. And uh, so when I was nine years old, I was pushed off into a military boarding school where Mm. I studied till uh, my senior classes. And then I took the exam for what is called the National Defense Academy in India, which is akin to West Point in your country. Oh, okay. And uh, I appeared for the exam, we passed, and uh, unlike West Point being two years, we have a four years program where we do a graduation program Mm -hmm. for three years, and then we go into a specialized military academy called the Indian Military Academy, where we uh, are... uh, uh, special to the uh, uh, arm that you are joining, you get trained in that. I see. So I, so I joined the parachute regiment of the Indian Army, and at 19 years of age, I was a commissioned officer. My goodness. And, and my job was, uh, I was a trained paratroop, which meant that every time uh, there would be a skirmish or there would be a problem, we would be dropped behind enemy lines, and uh, we would then uh, do whatever we had to do and get extricated back into our own territory. Mm. So I did So I did this job for about 11 years. And then when I was about 30, I decided to get into a private business. You'd, and, had, a, uh, you'd had enough of the military and parachuting into enemy lines? <laughs> <laughs> so you see, uh, so around that time, uh, I just made up my mind. I said, enough is enough. Now let's try and venture out and see uh, what are the 
venues in life that are open. And uh, we realized, uh, you know, something that was similar to what I had done was the business of security and investigations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's from where we uh, started uh, with uh, very little capital or no capital because serving the armed forces gives you uh, enough money to live like a king, but uh, it doesn't sort of leave you with much when you leave the armed forces. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we started uh, from under a tree and we grew and grew. And then uh, at this point of time, uh, we are one of the uh, larger companies in India today where we have multiple offices in India and the Middle East and uh, we have a permanent office in Dubai. And uh, so we have a network with uh, people all across the world. So if you have information to obtain in any country, we have a go-to person in almost all the uh, world capitals of the, or in all the capitals in uh, all the countries or all the major cities. Yes. So it's uh, fairly interesting and uh, we do uh, get requests and we do get jobs done. And I and I know that your both of your sons. Um, one of them uh, manages your Dubai office, and the other one uh, isn't he your operations manager in Delhi? No, actually, uh, uh, fancy our business. Uh, you know, uh, it's working very differently now because uh, we have so many verticals within our company, and all are managed professionally. Uh, and uh, my sons are basically managing business rather than being hands-on in operations today. Uh, I see. Okay, so they're so they're managing the offices instead of. Um, yes. Yeah, so we, you know, we got multiple offices. So you have to manage the offices. Uh, you have trainings to uh, be conducted. You have all these managerial processes uh, that are there. Plus, uh, there's a fair amount of marketing activity that has to go on. Contracts to be signed and legal aspects to be looked into in business. So uh, you know, the one side is the operational side. The other is the management side of the business. So both are equally important and they go hand in glove with each other. Right, for sure. And you're now the chairman and CEO. Uh, yes, I uh, am supposed to be there, but I still like to do uh, what I used to do earlier. Uh, and I like to be on the streets. I like to do my work the way I used to do earlier, but uh, I do get pulled behind the scenes also nowadays. Yeah, for sure. So I'm interested, Pawan, uh, when you were in the military, did did you get married at, at that time and start your family or was it later? I left the, uh, I, I think it was just about the time when I decided to quit that I got married. And uh, my wife too came in from a armed forces background. Her father was a brigadier general in the army. And uh, so she also knew of nothing else but the armed forces. And it was quite a surprise when I decided to quit, both for my in-laws and my parents both. Hmm. Interesting. And uh, now I know that I'm going to be seeing you soon because you are hosting, uh, along with uh, another member from India, the uh, Council of International Investigators Conference in Delhi, uh, which starts next Tuesday. That's and, right. And I'm so excited about that, Pawan. I'm going to be seeing you on Monday, I believe. Uh, yes. And the conference is going on for, for five days. What, what plans do you have for that conference? You know, it's a very exciting sort of a thing. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun and a lot of education that we've planned. Uh, for the education part of the business, we have uh, uh, a retired Lieutenant General uh, who's currently the military advisor to the government of India who's coming and giving us the keynote address. And uh, then we have a very eminent professor from the Indian Institute of Finance, 
who's going to be talking to us about the Indian economy and its impact on jobs and businesses. Uh, we also have a computer forensics expert who's coming and talking to us the importance of forensics today in, uh, in an investigator's life. Mm. Then we have a couple of panel discussions. Uh, one of the panels where all, uh, we have three panel discussions during the days of the seminars. And uh, the first one, I think, is on uh, uh, how to drive uh, credibility into the business of private investigations. Mm. Good one. Uh, which Good one. Uh, then we also have another panel discussion which talks of uh, the ethics, uh, the ethical issues in the security and the private investigations business. Mm -hmm. And uh, we again have another panel discussion on... Uh, Reemployment screening, intellectual property, and due diligence as drivers to the private investigators business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there's one more seminar uh, by a very eminent uh, uh, lawyer who's presumably one of who's been nominated uh, by some world bodies as one of the best four in the world on cybersecurity. So he's going to come and talk to us on the evidences that are required when uh, court battles go on in cybersecurity. You know, it's so uh, interesting when we attend these international conferences how we can broaden our horizons about what is going on in the rest of the world. Because I think, for sure, those of us in the United States sometimes get uh, too focused on what's going on in the United States and not aware of what's going on in the rest of the world. And so it really is important to attend conferences like this to get that viewpoint. Absolutely. You know, Fancy, sometimes in the U.S. people think in India, we still are stick jobbers. <laughs> <laughs> Probably so. <laughs> yes. You know, and uh, sometimes uh, we, uh, you know, when I'm traveling into the United States, I get asked questions. Uh, where is India? And uh, that's a bit of a surprise <laughs> to me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> So, you know, so there are different uh, people who talk to you at different times and uh, it's important to travel and uh, understand as to what is happening in other parts of the world also. So, so that's an interesting thought. What, what other kinds of questions do you get asked when you travel around? You know, uh, one of the first questions, you know, I remember several years ago when I was visiting the United States, I was asked, uh, you speak good English. Where did you learn your English? Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you know, questions which are so basic in life uh, get asked at times and you feel, well, uh, these are important because the other people don't know where you come from. Right, right, yeah. Well, so, and, and you, get, you get English in your schools, correct? You see, uh, India is uh, a bit different to, uh, we were ruled by the British for a very long time, for almost uh, 350 years so, uh, English language w had become a spoken language amongst the people who were uh, educated. Mm -hmm. and, and the British had put across this language as a language in which majority of the official work was done. Mm -hmm. And therefore, when people went into government service, uh, it was in English that they were conversing with each other and writing documents or writing their briefs in English. I see. So, in, uh, English was uh, the common binding factor in a country which is a very diverse uh, country like India where southern India speaks a different language, northern India speaks a different language, each state speaks a different language. We've got 22 official languages in India. 
And what is the main language for Delhi? You see, Hindi is the uh, national language. Okay. But Hindi, but Hindi is still not spoken in southern India. Really? Yes. You would have uh, people speaking the local language or English. So, if there was one ca- one language that combined the whole of the country, I would still say that is English. Oh, okay, interesting. interesting. And the people that you know, uh, when you come in from the west, uh, you know, I, I'm not talking about the people on the uh, on the uh, the people that you would be. Uh, having to meet for your business opportunities or whatever, they all speak English. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, a lot of Americans, their contact with India has been through the uh, technological advances that you, that you all in India have set up the call centers and so forth that we often communicate with when we are having a problem with our cell phone or our Google account or something else. Absolutely. You see, it started off with uh, the offshoring of the uh, back process offices. But I think it's moved on into some knowledge processes that are being done and now design processes are being done here. So I think uh, the call center business has taken a backstage to other situations which have uh, now come in and stepped into the country. Well, you know, India gets a lot of credit for for their progressive... uh, and forward-thinking attitude to get people trained to handle these call centers. That was that was just inspired. Really an, an amazing idea that they've done very well with. Absolutely. They did very well with. And uh, countries like Philippines and Indonesia are also following suit and even Ireland. Mm. So uh, India has a lot of competition uh, that stepped into the world market. Oh, really? Today. Interesting. Yes. I wasn't aware of that. So um, back to the conference. Uh one of the nice things about going to an international conference is you learn about the country and there's, you have side trips. So what kind of side trips do you have planned for the attendees? Oh, uh, several of them actually. Uh, one of them that we are having is uh, a visit to the Kingdom of Dreams, mm-hmm. uh, which is a Bollywood show. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, we are doing that on the 21st afternoon. Mm-hmm. And uh, from the hotel, we go to a uh, small town called Gurgaon where uh, this show is being done. And then we come back uh, to a nice restaurant for dinner. Nice. So that, so that takes care of one evening. The other evening, we're going to see the Kutub Minar, uh, which is a minaret uh, which was built in, I think, the 14th century as a washtar to see where the enemy troops are coming in from which direction. Ah. Uh. And then, and then from there we go into a cottage emporium to see uh, uh, the handicrafts being made and uh, do a bit of elephant and uh, uh, camel rides. And then from there go on to dinner uh, to a very nice restaurant called Fio. Mm. So, uh, and then the spouses have tours which are uh, being done during the day hours. And uh, then we have a very nice gala evening uh, dinner with dance and uh, music. Uh, there. And before uh, before the conference starts, all uh, our friends who are coming in, we've asked them over to our home for dinner, and I hope everyone likes that. Uh, well, I like it a lot. I'm so excited about that. Thank you so much for hosting that, because that's I think that's incredible. So, Pawan, you've been a member of the Council of International Investigators for many years, as well as the World Association of Detectives. Yes. So... 
what do you get out of these organizations? For people that are listening that have never, particularly private investigators that have never ventured into the, these uh, global associations, why are you a member and what do you get out of it? Uh, I am a member of uh, both these organizations for several years now. In fact, uh, I became a member of WAD before I became a member of CII. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's the CII conferences that I've been uh, going to more often. I enjoy the camaraderie of the uh, members in CII. And I've learned a lot from uh, almost everybody that I've been in contact with. I've learned the way in which business occurs in the private investigation field in their country. What can be done? What cannot be done? What is ethical? What is not ethical? Mm-hmm. What is correct? What is not correct? What is admissible evidence? What is not admissible? Uh, mm-hmm. And what are the requirements that businesses have uh, for themselves uh, in uh, developing countries like ours? And uh, uh, it helped me sort of uh, get pre-warned to uh, the requirements of uh, the Western, con- uh, Western companies when they came into India. And so we were prepared to receive them and uh, provide them with the help and assistance uh, that they would be looking for. I see. Oh, that's, yeah, that's an interesting viewpoint. Okay, we're going to take a real quick break, Pawan. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pawan. Let me get this right. Aluwalia. And we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. 
My guest today is Pawan Aluwalia, and uh, he's from Asia and has offices all over India, Dubai, the Middle East, and contacts all over the world. And so we're talking about networking uh, with private investigators worldwide. So, Pawan, uh, you said something so interesting to me that I just mentioned to you offline is that you develop you wanted to make contacts with other countries so you could service their needs when they come to your country and I hadn't thought about it that way before so I think that's a really interesting idea um, as I mentioned Americans have a tendency to think they're the only ones <laughs> so I'm glad to hear uh, I'm glad to hear that viewpoint so how would you say, now that you've had so much experience working in a variety of other countries, how would you say the investigations and security business is different in India? Uh, you see, we, uh, uh, let me first talk of the security business. Uh, you know, basically, uh, all security business uh, is watch and ward. But uh, the way you, uh, the Americans were addressing the security business was not the way the Indians were addressing it traditionally. Okay. Uh, in India, the security business was basically to secure premises and therefore uniform was not an essential ingredient. Uh, you would basically have a man with a stick who would walk the, you know, do the rounds in the evening and bang the stick on the ground and keep shouting, keep awake, keep awake, so that, you know, you could scare the, uh, if there was anyone trying to do stealing or robbing or something, who would then be, uh, you know, warned that people are awake and don't come here. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we uh, looked at the Western model and uh, a very interesting uh, foreign company came and established security business in India. And we learned a lot from them, actually. Uh, we realized that uh, it was not just watch and ward. Uh, you were... You, you know, factories had to be guarded, you had to do a threat analysis, you had to deploy people according to the risk that was uh, anticipated, what needed protection, what uh, was not important, the people were important, information was important, uh, the uh, people working in the plant were important. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, you sort of developed a different uh, sense of the way in which security was to be addressed. And uh, we didn't have computers in India at that time when I went into the security business. And when computers started coming in, uh, we realized that, you know, the security guards had to handle computers. They need to be literate. They need to be educated. And education was amongst the masses in India was not uh, there. So we had to have a hybrid system where uh, the requirement of a Western company could still be met with the uh, traditional Indian way of working. Hmm. And, mm-hmm. and uh, we were more manpower intensive rather than uh, uh, equipment intensive. Equipment was more in, more expensive than the manpower in India at that point of time. I'm talking about 30 years ago. So uh, it was a very different concept where uh, people, even if they uh, put security equipment in like CCTV cameras and so on, we didn't have enough power uh, or the power would not be there 24 hours for the CCTV cameras to operate on. So even if you had security gadgets, you required uh, uh, a power backup, a UPS system and so on and so forth. So the cost of equipment uh, kept mounting because it was just not the basic equipment that you were talking of. You were talking of power backups that sort of ensured that the equipment functioned when the power in India was not there. Mm-hmm. 
so uh, times have changed uh, now uh, electricity is there the spikes in electricity have gone away so your equipment doesn't uh, go bad as it as often as it used to uh, and we have enough generators as power backups so uh, the times have changed the requirements have changed now uh, we are almost there in comparison to the western world but still not there uh, uh, so we are going up the ladder that's about it in the field of security as far as the private investigations business goes uh, you know uh, the world is open right now as to what is the requirement and how it can be done hmm so do you have uh, do you have restrictions um or guidelines or rules that you have to follow in your country because uh, you know we have many in 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 the United States, so we have all kinds of privacy issues and uh, issues with uh, doing employment investigations and that kind of thing. Do you have those kind of restrictions? Firstly, let me just uh, tell you, Francie, that in India we do not have uh, licenses for private investigators. Okay. So there are no state laws. There is no uh, federal law that sort of by uh, restricts the work of a private investigator or in a given geography. Like in your country, you cannot move from one state to another state and then uh, do the job of a private investigator. In India, we can sort of uh, move across the length and breadth of the country and uh, still do our job. So there's no restriction on a geog- on the geography in which we can operate. Okay. Now, how do you? What do you feel about licensing, Pawan? Would you be in favor of licensing in India or not? We have licenses for the security industry, but we do not have license for the. Uh, investigations industry they okay. have been trying to put a legislation in and i have been part of uh, the people who have been vetting government legislations uh, in india and uh, actually the way they have been trying to legislate uh, we haven't liked it they have been trying to put too many restrictions and they have been trying to sort of mm. uh, i i think they are, the government was bundled up in trying to equate the law enforcement with private investigations and they were not being able to put the commercial angle in Mm-hmm. into the entire thing and uh, we are thankful that uh, this uh, the uh, bill came up in parliament a couple of times but uh, it was defeated and therefore uh, the government is quiet on it at this point of time when it comes up i don't know okay so um so that you brought up the parliamentary procedure so how does it work do you are does does your group or your investigative group, do they uh, sponsor a bill and write it up and present it? Does somebody else do it? How does that work? You see, in uh, India, uh, you first have to have a central enactment which comes to, uh, like you have a federal system, we have a central system. So uh, the government would come up with a law and then each law that is uh, brought up, uh, investigations and security is a state subject. So even if the... Uh, if there was a central legislation, it still had to be enacted by every state. And every state legislature has to pass the law. And they generally uh, like to make some amendments to the central act. So even like in the security business, so you have... Now, if you were to function in India as a pan-India company, you would require 28 state licenses and 7 union territory licenses. You would require 35 licenses to function within India. Wow. Okay. And... Uh, and and there is a cost to obtaining each license and then to retaining your license. So it, it becomes a very expensive affair. Uh, but then there is legislation. You can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Similarly, in the private investigations business, 
we told them that we do not want the different state laws we would like uh, one uh, place where you can get licensed mm-hmm. uh so you know uh, the different opinions some people are for it the government people don't want it but at this point of time there is no legislation for the private uh, investigations business in india i see but now for security is that um, maybe i missed this there's sec- licensing for security or not no there is license for security and uh, you got to obtain a license for every state in which you want to be operating okay okay and there's 30 and you said there's 35 states There are 28 uh, states in India with uh, seven union territories. Seven uh, areas are administered by the central government. So you have 35 licenses to obtain to work on a pan-India basis. I'm sorry, I don't know more about Indian poli- uh, government, but how does how why are some states and why are some union union? Ter- you see, there are certain uh, there are certain areas which. Uh, are governed directly by the center which uh, uh, when the states in india were being formed uh, certain areas were wanted by more states than one so they so the center said that they would administer them centrally i see kind of like our district of columbia sounds like maybe i'm not aware of what the situation oh, in columbia okay. is but but i'm sure you know like there's a about uh, 300 kilometers north of delhi it is the capital of two states in india but it's still a union territory okay does that make sense that makes sense yeah yeah it's very interesting okay. i'm going to i'm going to be learning much more about this i can tell <laughs> so um <laughs> so what have you seen for example in other countries that you would like to implement there or is there nothing that you've seen uh, that you would want oh, to implement in india a, oh we've seen a lot we've seen a lot uh, uh, let me talk to you about the investigations business okay uh, you know um, when i started off with business in india in the investigations field we were doing very small time work uh, uh doing uh, matrimonial cases and so on we never ventured into corporate investigations we did not know as to what ethical issues can be within larger corporations uh we were not aware of the fact that you know people steal information on uh, computers uh, we were not aware that uh, uh, it was essential to uh, in india they, you know we just learn we learned from the americans that uh, do to do pre employment screening is an essential ingredient uh, before you hire uh, or employ people mm-hmm. so uh, so we learned all these things from the uh, americans and uh, uh, the pre employment screening business we have a very strong pre employment uh, screening business for in, in uh, one of our companies and uh, where we do pre employment screening for uh, uh, several large companies in india and we started off with the general electric the ge when they came into india 
they were the first who said that uh, all people who work on GE processors need to be uh, pre-screened. And we realized that, uh, you know, screening them for education, screening them on uh, uh, their addresses, screening them for criminal verification, screening them for their driving licenses, screening them for anything mm-hmm. was important, uh, which we were not doing earlier. And the reason for that is because people sometimes falsify their information. Everyone does that. You know, everyone likes to speak more about themselves than they actually are. Right. Yeah. And and so there is an element uh, which requires to be verified as to how true anything is. Well, and certainly that was easy to do when you were crossing international borders because it wasn't easy to check until the last few years. And especially with the internet coming in, it's become much more easier. Yeah. So it's become much more easier to do it now. And so what other kinds of things do you specialize in? We do intellectual property work. We have a company that sort of deals in intellectual property. We protect brands from being eroded or copied or counterfeited. We do uh, uh, pass-offs when they take place or uh, if there is any spurious manufacturing being done in India, we try and trace as to where it is being done. And... uh, Cigarettes, for example, or pharmaceuticals, for example. So things like these, when they are being counterfeited in India, we tend to sort of uh, get down to seeing as to where they are being made and uh, where we could sort of uh, uh, put the uh, people who are doing it off business, take them to court if necessary, Mm -hmm. and uh, seize their products. And if the copyrights uh, don't permit that to be done in India, we would uh, take them to where the shipment is going and see if we can uh, do something in the country in which they're landing. I see. So if you find, uh, so you're actually you're actually looking for the source, the manufacturer. Yes, if you know where the source is, you can take them out of business. Okay. Uh, if you uh, take deterrent action against the people who are selling. Uh, the manufacturer just starts selling in a different location. Right, right. So then uh, when you find, when you're able to uncover that, then do you go in with the police or how does that part work? There are a couple of ways in which you can do it in India. It depends upon uh, if there are certain cognizable parts of the business um, under the Copyrights Act. And if it is a patent process, then you have a different process to take on. If it's a trademark issue, there's a different method to go by. But basically, you can either approach the police if it's a cognizable offense and ask them to sort of uh, uh, tape, uh, do a police raid on the property mm-hmm. and seize the spurious products. Or you can go to the court and uh, take court directions for local commissioners uh, to be appointed uh, who can go and seize the product. Or you could, uh, or you could go into a civil action case and uh, seek damages. Okay, and Pawan, do you have problems with um, other countries bringing their products, counterfeit products, into India as well? You see, India is. Uh, uh, we have a lot of uh, cases where they've been. Uh, for example, I remember the Oakley glasses; uh, they were being sold in India. Uh-huh. And uh, and uh, but the problem was different at that time. Uh, you had a formal distributor who was distributing, and the product that he was selling was more expensive than uh, than original locally coming in from some other sources. 
Okay. And, and so what so, ended up happening with that? So, uh, you know, basically what was happening was that uh, companies have different pricing structures in different parts of the world. And, uh, for example, uh, you, would, you could have a product being manufactured uh, somewhere in the world, but coming into Sri Lanka will probably be cheaper than the product of the same company coming into India. I see. So, if, so if the company was sending a product into Sri Lanka and from Sri Lanka it was coming into India mm-hmm. and being sold, mm-hmm. so there was nothing wrong with the product except that it was coming in via a channel which the company did not want it to come through. So they do, are they avoiding um, taxes to, in, to bring them through Sri Lanka instead of the regular channels or what are they avoiding? No, they're not avoiding. They're taking advantage of the differential pricing strategies okay. to sell uh, within a country uh, by, the, uh, by the product manufacturer. Hmm. For, because they have, a, they have a cheaper price limit uh, for Sri Lanka and they have a higher one for India. So it would be wise for a company to sort of, uh, for a trader to sort of buy products in uh, Sri Lanka and then bring them into India. Mm-hmm, I see. Which, which the company may not want to do, but, uh, you know, it is still possible to do. Okay. All right. Interesting. So, so fascinating. We have another break to take. So we will be right back. And we've been talking with Pawan from India. Stay tuned. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. 
That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. We've been discussing networking in Asia and expanding horizons across the globe with my guest and my friend from Delhi, India, Pawanjit Aluwalia. I kind of goof that up every time. But um, so, Pawan, um, I know you have many stories to tell about investigations you've done. Do you have any anyone that sticks out in your mind that uh, you can talk about? Yeah, I can actually uh, talk of some. I remember uh, a case where uh, there were some designs being uh, made in uh, uh, in a company which was in your area, fancy. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were some Indians working there, and they were like to have come back to India with some designs that they had taken and started doing some work on that uh, product in India. So that was an interesting case. I think it was. Uh, you know, the company that I don't want to name because I think uh, we shouldn't do that. Right. But uh, it was somewhere in uh, the SFO area. They were working on some designs and some products. And before the product could get launched, uh, apparently uh, two people uh, from the R&T team left them and they came back to India. And the company alleged that they were trying to sell that design to some people within India and uh, how could we prevent that from happening? Mm-hmm. And, and so that was interesting. Yeah. And so, how did you accomplish that? How did how did that work? You see, uh, firstly, uh, they were not too sure as to who were those guys that uh, they thought that they were uh, who had left them, and uh, so we had to trace them uh, within India first because the addresses that they had uh, for them in India were not very accurate. Mm-hmm. Because what the address was on the passport was not what their current addresses were. So, uh, from the passport addresses, we traced uh, where they had their addresses on the passport. From there, we traced as to where they had gone. And we eventually found them and we spoke to them. And uh, we somehow were able to restrain them from doing what they wanted to do. We then found out the company that was interested in purchasing their designs. We told them, uh, should you go ahead and do it? We would uh, bring court orders against them from uh, using them. And they would also probably have to pay damages in court uh, because uh, they were not supposed to buy them. Mm-hmm. So eventually, I think uh, with a lot of a bit of a deterrence, a bit of, bit of a persuasion, and we got a law firm involved into assisting us into uh, the legal aspects of it. And I think overall it took about uh, a fair amount of two months of time, but uh, it was an unnecessary expense that had to be uh, gone through by the American company in order to prevent uh, the designs from being stolen. Interesting, interesting. Now you said that you 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 have access to passport information. No, uh, you see, the, we can have access to passport information. Um, there is a way in India where you can sort of access uh, the, uh, the legitimacy of a passport. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, uh, so this, since these people were working in the United States, and I think on the record, uh, uh, they had the passport details of the persons who were working there at that time. Oh, I see. Interesting. Okay. That makes sense. So, um, 
Which brings up a question. Do you have um, databases, proprietary databases like we have in the United States for investigators where you can obtain addresses and things like that? Uh, Fancy, in India, the databases are just about to, uh, about starting. And they're not good databases on individuals. For example, if you asked me, uh, if in the United States I was to run a database search on you, I could make out where you stay and how many properties you own. Uh, mm-hmm. But you can't do the same thing in India. In India, what you can do is if you know of a property, I can find out whether it is owned by who. But okay. I can't tell you that uh, a person in India as to how many properties does he have. So you see. can't do this kind of research in India. Okay. okay. And even the searches for property, if you were to do, you had to go into the municipal records of the location and then do a search up there within those offices. And this this type of information, though public in uh, nature, uh, is not easy to get. It takes a lot of time into uh, getting the right information. And therefore, in third world countries, there is there is cost uh, which is very different to the type of costs that you see in the United States hmm. on simple searches. So, um, how, so how do you go about finding somebody? If you have, if you're looking for a specific individual, what would be the steps you would take to locate them? Firstly, finding an individual in India is like looking for a needle in a haystack. <laughs> That's what I'm Pardon, thinking. I said uh, looking for a person in India is looking uh, for a needle in a haystack. Yeah. You know, it's very difficult to uh, locate people who are not well-known. If you are well-known, then you have a lot of information about you at various places. Uh-huh. But if you are uh, not a moneyed person and if you uh, are just an ordinary person, you can just get lost in this big country. We are a country of 1.25 billion today. And uh, we don't have a social security number. We are trying to sort of build in a number uh, for all the people in India to uh, for their banking needs and so on. But it is still uh, years from being established as uh, uh, the methodology to uh, sort of uh, find a person. We have no social security number. We are still known by uh, uh, my name would be followed by my father's name for mm-hmm. my identification. Okay. And, so it, and so, so it's a very difficult system. So it's really gumshoe work at the traditional. It's very, absolutely <laughs> right. It's a very gumshoe work and uh, the chances of locating a person are not very bright if he is not very well known. Yeah. So you have to uh, start with whatever your known place is and go village to village or house to house. To yes. try to look, locate somebody. And and do you tell people what you're doing? That you're looking for this yes, person? Well, uh, you know, sometimes uh, you can just, uh, it depends on the nature of the inquiry. And if the inquiry says that you can, uh, you've got to find a person, uh, then you can sort of uh, check out. And then if it alerts them, it's just too bad. But it depends on the, what is the type of uh, search that you're doing. Right. And what, what is the purpose for which you are trying to locate a person? So what would be some situations? I mean, maybe fraud would be one. You see, uh, for example, I, I, you remember Jim, you know Jim Carino as well as I do. Yes. Uh, I, I think my first interaction with Jim was that uh, he was looking for a person uh, who had got a patent on his name. And then uh, probably he'd lost senses, and, but the patent still existed on his name and he wanted to find him. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
and see as to how they could sort of uh, get him to authorize them to use his patent rights. Okay. So you know, so he the last they had a last known address which was in the city of Calcutta, but he'd left Calcutta about fifteen years ago and had settled in his native place in Kerala somewhere, which is in the bottom of India. I see. And uh, so uh, you know. So we went into Calcutta. We got uh, references. We went into Kerala, and we eventually did find him. So there are people that you can find, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, because he had a patent on his name. He was relatively educated, and uh, so you could find him. But if you uh, were to find a relatively unknown person, uh, you could just get lost in this huge country of one point two five billion. I see, and and many people have the same names, correct? Uh, people have. Yeah, people have the same names, but they don't have the same father name, and they I don't see. have the same mother name. They don't come from the same village. They don't have the same residential address or the same uh, uh, permanent address as we have in India. So you know there are ways and ways and means to sort the problem out. I see. It sounds like uh, it's so foreign to what we're used to in the United States. Uh, Absolutely, your system is more regulated, uh, and uh, we're still evolving here on certain things. Well, this, it's like it was in the United States maybe, I don't know, 100 years ago <laughs> when we had none, maybe, none of those things. Yeah, you know, and uh, now uh, there's something called an Aadhaar card which is coming up where everybody is supposed to get registered and have a number to themselves which would assist them to sort of uh, open bank accounts and they're linking them to your taxation numbers. And so, you know, it's like a social security number, mm-hmm. but it is far from being... Uh, established as a norm as yet. And I would think also that um, residents of India would, might be a little resistant to doing any of those things by having a number and, and being identified that way. Is that true? Absolutely. You see, people, uh, for, we are a country of 1.25 billion and only 4% pay taxes in this country. Really? Yeah. And- and, so, and, yeah, so, and some are just below the uh, threshold of where taxes are uh, imposed. So mm-hmm. they don't earn enough to pay taxes. We have certain exempted people like people on uh, people who have agricultural income don't pay taxes. And what is your tax rate for people that do pay taxes? Uh, I think individual tax rates are about 20%, mm-hmm. whereas corporate taxes are 30 or 32%. Okay. So that's it. Interesting. So different. All right. Tell us another story about your investigations. Well, uh, up here, you, uh, India's got a lot of problems on... Uh, uh, yeah, I think this the one that I'll tell you is more interesting. You know, we have a public distribution system where uh, kerosene oil was given to the poor at a subsidized rate. Mm-hmm. And the kerosene oil, which was meant for distribution through uh, shops, which are uh, for the poor people, uh, the kerosene used to get because it was at a subsidized rate. Uh, the middlemen used to sort of siphon off this particular kerosene into uh, the petrol pumps and adulterate diesel with kerosene and sell that into the market. Does it make sense? Yes, it does make sense. That's scary. Okay. <laughs> That's yeah. really scary. 
So in uh, you know we then we worked uh, with a company which a multinational company called SGS and another company in the United States that made ink markers. I think it was from Dallas, Texas, uh-huh. and uh, they had a mark. I forget the name of the organization, but then uh, this ink was introduced into the uh, kerosene oil of the into the kerosene oil companies. The oil companies that uh, were were selling uh, kerosene oil into the market. So the this marker was introduced in uh, was introduced into the kerosene oil at that point of time. So, so the, when it further went, so, so that, when it further got distributed, you could make out and if you checked, you could uh, find out as to who uh, so you could you could test the origin of where the right. uh, uh, where the oil was coming in from. Because it would provide a marker that was different than and what was yes. supposed to be. Yes. Very yes. interesting. And, and then if you and then if you checked uh, the diesel from a petrol uh, station, and if the traces of that marker were there, you would make out that there was some adulteration that had taken place uh-huh. from from uh, the kerosene oil, which was not supposed to be there. That's very creative, actually. That was a good idea. Oh. Yes, uh, you know, I thought it was an excellent idea. They tried to sort of do it. It's function in certain states in India. And uh, there was a lot of resistance to uh, the samples being taken uh, in various petrol pumps because they were uh, dealing with such kind of things. Uh, so there was a lot of resistance and th- there was a problem in implementing it. But nevertheless, it did meet its objectives. That's great. What a what a great investigation. You know, Pawan, we are um, we've done a whole hour now. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing our uh, bird's eye view for us for India. I appreciate it. I'll see you on Monday. And uh, yes. for my listeners, join me again next week when we declassify more real stories from real investigators. Thank you, Pawan. Uh, it's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 